You've got to think differently. And started menopause at 30. Now he's got a roaring bone. Just because you have some challenges doesn't mean you're not fabulous. The doctor walked in and he said, cross everything except your legs. The romance takes place in, the, in a Petri dish. The dusty old eggs. They're not genetically mine. But people forget that other people are really struggling. Choosing our donor. No one talks about it because they feel bad or they feel shame. I genuinely did not like kids. See, your sperm's great. My uterus is pretty good. It seems to be the semen that don't like to cooperate. Everyone, I'm pregnant! Welcome to season two of What to Expect When You're Injecting. I'm so glad you're back for more. Well, a lot has happened since we last caught up, so I thought let's kick off our next season with a little update from me. Firstly, thanks to everyone for listening and your support over the past 30 episodes so far. That's 30 hours of content, three episode sponsors. We're international, hosted three events in Perth and touched the lives of thousands of people around the world. Right, so what's been happening with me and my uterus? Let's get right into it. So many puns. I'm Cassie Silver, a Perth-born and raised girl with blocked tubes, endo, the inability to ovulate with a big fear of failing and needles. The perfect combo for an IVF patient, hey? What's my IVF journey been like? One of the toughest yet most rewarding experiences of my life. So I wanted to start with what's been the toughest. My first egg collection resulted in 29 eggs collected and five blastocysts. The first three FETs failed and it was time for the fourth transfer. I was three weeks into stims ready for transfer with my new socks. My husband and I went for brekkie like we normally do together the day off. I nervously sat there eating my brekkie and checking my phone every single minute for missed calls. And then the embryologist rang. I'm mostly excited to chat with them because I know bets are still on for whose embryo is going in me, the number. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, the clinic I went through, Jenea, offers time-lapse imagery of your embryos. So like a baby monitor, I could check in on them the first few days following fertilisation. I answered very excitedly, good morning. And then my heart broke. My embryo had not survived thawing. It was not looking ideal for transfer. Now I still had one left in the bank. So I said, get it out, pull it out, defrost it, put it on the bench, she agreed. And explained by the time I would arrive at the clinic in 40 minutes, it would have thawed out. I felt pretty robbed that my plan for having a backup embryo was ruined. But regardless, all you need is one. So I pushed my porridge around a little upset and started sipping on water ready to fill up my bladder nicely like a good IVF patient does before a transfer. I arrived at the clinic and waited my turn to be called in to drop my dax and pop on my new socks for transfer. The embryologist came to find me instead and she took me into a little room with my husband and told us that our backup embryo hadn't survived either. I was devastated. She said the first embryo was showing signs of recovery and maybe we could watch it overnight and return for a transfer the following day. I didn't know how I felt about the embryo that was, you know, going in the bin and then an hour later was potentially going to go in me the next day. On that transfer day, I had planned to put my feet up while my husband went to his good mate's wedding. I wasn't keen on dancing the night away, because I was going to be carrying precious cargo, I thought. And because I wasn't, I decided to go. I saw the groom, I gave him a hug and he whispered in my ear, I actually wish you weren't here, but I'm so glad you are. 
So there I was at a friend's wedding with my last embryo of the bunch, hoping to survive overnight and us make the decision if we were going to go ahead with transferring a less than desirable embryo. I didn't sleep well that night. Pretty horrible things went through my mind. The next morning, the phone rang and the decision was made for us. The embryo had not survived. Yesterday, I had two great embryos. Now I had none. And it was back for egg collection. Now I know egg collection isn't a bad thing, but I'd sort of banked on having one kid in my batch of five transfers. I thought, surely my child is in there somewhere. Anyway, it was time to start from the beginning, but at least I knew what I was expecting this time. We aimed for a lower dose this time, less stims, meaning less eggs, which would hopefully result in quality over quantity. The doc and I were also very keen to avoid ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome this time because it was pretty horrific the last time. So at the second collection, we got 17 eggs, which I was pretty happy with. And this time my husband improved his sperm, so we were able to do IVF instead of ICSI. To hedge our bets, we mixed my husband's new and improved super sprog, as we called it, with my eggs, 50-50 IVF and ICSI. Fertilisation rates are different with each. Do your research around it. It's really interesting. We ended up with eight five-day-old blastocysts. Incredible. We collected half the eggs to last time and almost doubled the result. I think we ended up with three ICSI embryos and five IVF ones. And now it was time for my very first fresh transfer, something I'd always wanted to do. IVF fertilisation and a fresh transfer. Yay! And guess what? My ICSI embryo looked the best for transfer. So number seven, our dear friend Luke's winning embryo from round two sweepstake was going in. I had mild ovarian hyperstim symptoms, but they were manageable. So I endured the two-week wait with a little bit of uncomfortability, bloating, tired and the usual. I was on Clexane injections, which are blood thinners, because my oestrogen was climbing up around 30,000. Yeah, it was high. So I was about a week into my two-week wait when I was recording some podcast episodes for you guys. It was timely because I was chatting to Professor Roger Hart all about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. OHSS symptoms are enhanced when you're pregnant because your body is releasing HCG, the pregnancy hormone. It almost fuels it throughout your body. I started to feel worse and worse as the days progressed and explained, I feel like my OHSS is creeping up on me. He said, maybe you're pregnant. For the next few days, I peed on a stick and there they were, two lines, and they kept getting darker every day. But I just wanted to wait for bloods because I'd been let down with false positives before. And here's the thing. Nothing on this journey is a surprise. Everything is mapped out and planned. I was never going to get that moment to share with friends and family, surprise, we're pregnant, or even with my husband. So in came sneaky Cassie Silver. Look, I was optimistic. I was pretty certain I was pregnant. If you're wondering if I had any symptoms, nope, no spotting, cramping, sore boobs, nothing. I had all the hyperstim symptoms. I was due to get my bloods on Thursday. I rang the clinic on Tuesday and I said, can I get my bloods done tomorrow so I can surprise my husband? They said, yep, go in late on the Wednesday. 
My husband came home from work that day and proceeded to chat to me about how I would let him know the good or the bad news that was coming on Thursday. Was I going to call him? Would I wait till he got home? I said I'd probably wait. Little did he know I was going to go to get my bloods the day before. Wednesday, I went in for bloods. I recorded the phone call with the nurse telling me I'm pregnant a few hours later. It was the week of our wedding anniversary, so I quickly slapped together a video montage of photos and buried in there was my announcement to my husband that he was going to be a dad. Sneaky and creative, aren't I? So when he got home at 5pm on Wednesday evening, how could I contain myself? I had done my bloods, recorded the results, edited a video, gone to IGA to purchase party poppers, and then I waited patiently. I hollered, Byron, come into my office, come watch this video I've edited for you. And I was secretly recording him too. The opening scenes to the video had photos from our wedding and trips to Japan and the words, our marriage is built on love, friendship, and most importantly, trust. But today, I lied to you and I know it will be worth it. He looked confused. Then armed with a few party poppers and a perfectly timed choreography, the words appeared on the screen. I went for bloods today and we're pregnant. Pop, confetti, tears, so many emotions. And that was nice to have one element of surprise together. So what was different this round? Well, the stims were less, the collection was less, Byron's sperm improved and we got to have a fresh transfer. While it's pretty much 50-50 for fresh versus frozen success stories, I just wanted to say that I had tried something different this time. The biggest change was my stress. I didn't change my diet or exercise regime. Hey, I was still running 10Ks a day in the lead up to my cycle and drinking a glass of wine on most nights. But stress was a huge one in terms of workload, mental health, mindfulness, awareness, and removing toxic people and situations. And I can honestly say it played a huge role in our successful pregnancy. So there we were, after a year of trying naturally and a year of IVF, six embryos later, and might I add, thousands of dollars and tears, we were pregnant. I went for my first scan, really just to check how my hyperstim was going, so I wasn't expecting a heartbeat just yet. But there it was, a little flicker on the ultrasound. I was bummed my husband missed it, but never mind, he would catch it the next time. The weeks went by as I nervously waited for each milestone to approach. And this wasn't without its little scares. One afternoon, I had a big bleed. Byron was at work. I was too, my heart sank as I saw heavy blood down my legs. I rang the clinic who booked me in for my scan immediately. I thought, well, it's been fun, little embryo. Thanks for trying, but looks like we're parting ways from here. I rang Byron, he flew home, and together we embarked on a very emotional trip to get a scan. As couples sat around the waiting area excited to see their little one's toes or hands or actions, I was there just to see if my husband was going to get to see a heartbeat for the first time. We cut the queue and we went straight in for a scan. I remember looking at Byron's face in his hands thinking, I feel so guilty that I got to see a heartbeat and he's probably going to miss out on it all now. Then I saw a little flicker, the most beautiful little grain of sand flickering away at us, and we both started crying. 
Why am I bleeding then? Guess why? It was Clexane, the blood thinner I was on. I was weaned off the injections and the bleeding stopped. I'll be honest, it took me months to recover from that day. But strangely, it was when my mum mode and maternal instincts kicked in. One thing I have noticed is unfortunately for those who can't conceive naturally, it feels a little bit like we carry this extra layer of uncertainty or anxiety, even though we are pregnant. I didn't buy a single baby item for my son until I was 24 weeks pregnant and started the nursery at 26 weeks. I still believe until he's in my arms, I can lose him at any moment. It's scary and unsettling. And my biggest hurdle has been ensuring I enjoy the pregnancy and all the things I dreamed of doing instead of worrying about it being too good to be true or snatched away from me at any moment. It sounds weird to say after wanting something for such a long time. So with our little boy on the way, it's given me time to reflect on the journey and offer some advice for those who are on it. That's why the podcast continues as well. I mean, our son's siblings are in the freezer and the cycle of injections and waiting all begins again in a couple of years. So while I'm not an expert, I have been around the IVF block a few times and instead of giving you advice like be patient or don't overthink it, here are some honest tips I wish I knew earlier. Nurture you and your relationship. Yes, we are the warrior women jabbing ourselves with needles and doing all the work, but don't forget your partner who's in the wings supporting you. Have fertility-free date night. You'll soon realise that all you both ever talk about is making babies, hormone levels, bloods, money, and you forget how to converse like you used to. Find another topic. Go on a date. Treasure your relationship because it starts with a solid foundation of two people before you bring in a third. Be aware of bitchiness, snappiness, resentment and neediness. Basically, pull your head in sometimes. Accept that this is the road you need to take and be strong and resilient where you can, but honest and vulnerable as well. Next one is ask more questions. By the end of your first cycle, you'll understand where your levels need to be. You'll know follicle sizes, oestrogen levels and side effects. But ask more questions, writing things down, compare your notes so you can feel involved in the process. Hey Cass, your oestrogen is sitting around 300. Mm, sorry doc, it was 700 last time, what's changed? Ask the questions and be your own advocate as well. Have realistic expectations. We thought it would work first go. I mean, it had to. For everyone else trying naturally with the perfect anatomy, it's like 20% chance. With IVF, it's double. So we were convinced, if not the first time, it would work the second. Have realistic expectations on the result, but also how long you're going to do this for. How long are you going to keep going? What can you afford? How are you going to cope if it doesn't work? Without sounding negative, believe in the process and have hope, but this can't be your only goal in life or your only focus. Just because you're going through IVF doesn't mean the world stops. Try not to give everything up because it's a lot to take on. There's a lot of information out there and it can consume you. You can't all of a sudden quit booze, stop exercising, cut out crap food, get nine hours sleep, be mentally sound, it's too much. Don't do home tests too early. Make sure your trigger is out of your system before you start peeing on sticks because the trigger emits the pregnancy hormone. 
So if it hasn't been 14 days since triggering, it'll be in your system and the HCG reading could give you a false positive when you test. We learned that the hard way by testing too soon. Stop comparing yourself to others. Easier said than done, but no one has the exact same makeup, protocol, medical history, coping strategies and goals as you. Stop scrolling on socials and stop Googling. Being offended is on you. Okay, that sounds harsh, but let me unpack it. You're going to be more emotional and sensitive, so things friends say might trigger you. Remember, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to piss Cassie off today. Everyone has good intentions. The delivery might just be a little off. It's up to you how you control your emotions, so try to reframe your thinking around this. Do nice things for you. Go get your eyebrows done, get a massage, shop, paint your nails, turn your phone off, go for a walk. I used to give myself a little reward each cycle. I like each injection. Do it. You deserve it. So I hope you enjoy season two of What to Expect When You're Injecting. Season one was a bit of a crash course for dummies and now in season two, we're getting into some really cool science and case studies. We have guests talking about egg donation, implantation failure, fertility diets, surrogacy, IVF for older women, mental health and so much more. So share the podcast with friends and family. I always said the greatest compliment is when someone educates themselves on a topic that's affecting me. So if you have a friend who asks how can they be a better support, ask them to listen. It'll make your conversations more authentic and understanding. For the rest of you, don't give up. It's the hardest journey in your life, but oh, so rewarding. What have I gained? More patience is one thing, more empathy is another. I now have a photo of my son when he was just five days old. How cool. I get to tell him how dozens of people played a role in creating him because he was so wanted. I started a podcast and touched the lives of thousands of people around the world. And I reckon I've seen about 300 pregnancy announcements from listeners who have shared them with me. My marriage is stronger, my friendships are honest, and I have a new respect for my body. I've overcome my fear of needles. So try and find the silver lining through it all for you. And if you feel like quitting, remind yourself why you started in the first place. Enjoy season two of What to Expect When You're Injecting. And remember, you don't need to have all your bits working for it all to work out in the end.